This is the happy hour. You guys want a happy hour? Coming at you live from the heart of Lincoln, America. Yeah, I'll maybe I'll come for a couple. Here are your hosts, Nick Sainert. I want to know what it's like to commit a crime without having to spend time in jail. And Enrique Alvarez Cleary. C is for chunk. <laughs> Brought to you by Empire Fence and Netting on 93.7 The Ticket and theticketfm.com. Welcome in. Happy Tuesday. This is the happy hour. 93.7 The Ticket, theticketfm.com. Nick Sainertz, no Rico today. Austin Norman joins me. He's to my left. Austin, what's up, man? Oh, you know, living the life. Matt Norlander knows what's up. Yeah, there you go. He's the man. Explain. He ranked Nebraska ahead of Iowa in his top 101 teams of the college basketball season. Hello. Maybe we'll have to talk a little Husker hoops coming down the show. If uh, we, we have plenty of stuff to get to today, as always, 402-464-5685, the Honda Lincoln Hotline. And the Starter Heyman text line are both open for you guys, as well as the Starter Heyman Jewelers live video stream, Facebook, YouTube, Twitch, Twitter, and Allo Channel 951. If you want to watch us on your television screens, are places for you guys to get in touch with the show. Once again, that phone number, 402-464-5685. Plenty of good stuff on the docket today. As uh, Tony White, Marcus Satterfield spoke a little bit today, uh, we heard from Matt Rule yesterday. We also heard... From Ryan Walters yesterday, and uh, obviously Ryan Walters, the first-year head coach from Purdue, he uh, led the defenses in years past against uh, against Nebraska while at Illinois, and being the defensive coordinator for them. For for those that don't know, a Colorado alum as well, mm-hmm. and uh, was actually in in discussions or, or was being talked about as potentially the next Colorado head coach prior to Deion Sanders, obviously. Uh, making his way to Boulder, and so there's a lot of of, of things to, uh, to of stuff to uncover here for Nebraska Purdue. Obviously, last year, like if you think back to Nebraska's game against the Boilermakers last year, it was, I mean, there was a lot of scoring. Number one, <laughs> um, probably the opposite of what we'll probably expect this Saturday, and how quickly it's just shifted to where Nebraska's defense is much improved. But mm-hmm. then also you have Nebraska's offense that is not nearly what it was last year. Doesn't have the threat of Trey Palmer on the perimeter, which is a big part of it. Trey Palmer went off in this game mm-hmm. against Purdue last year. That was fun to watch. It was. It was screw it. Trey's down there somewhere. That was that game from Nebraska. And with one more possession, I think Nebraska at least ties that game up but they just wasted one too many possessions in that third quarter is really what happened for Nebraska. This Purdue team being remade the way it has under Ryan Walters. Yeah. Hudson card. I'm not the biggest fan of he's been fine. He's been pretty much exactly what I think we could have expected Hudson card to be Mm -hmm. for them. And the receiving core has really been completely remade. As I, as I look at it, I remember the name TJ Sheffield. And other than that, it's a whole bunch of new guys. Yeah. Maccabee in the backfield has been, fine 4.6 yards per carry uh only gotten 105 carries so far through seven games so not a huge workload for him uh tyrone tracy the iowa transfer yeah um 
I always thought of him as a wide receiver. They've, they've shifted him to running back. He's got 50 carries on the year, uh, played a decent role out of the backfield as well with nine catches. So there are some names that you know, but it's, it's going to be strength on strength. I still think that it's going to be Purdue's offense against Nebraska's defense being the matchup that determines this game. Well, remember last year, <clears throat> excuse me, in that Nebraska-Purdue game uh, where it was the final score of 43-37, to 37, Devin Mockaby, who was a walk-on mm-hmm. at that point, kind of ran all over Nebraska. He had he had 30 carries for 178 yards and a touchdown. Um, he also added for a two, team that averaged 75 rushing yeah. yards a game coming in. Yeah, and so Devin Mockaby then gets put on scholarship towards the end of the year, and then what happens is once Ryan Walters is announced as Purdue's next head coach, and Jeff Brom announces that he's leaving to go to Louisville, right? Devin Mockaby goes, wait a minute, I'm going to enter the portal. Devin Mockaby entered the transfer portal at the end of last season, only to then come back and return to the Boilermakers, mm-hmm. where now he's starting running back, and as you said, a little over 100 carries this season. Um, with that in mind, right, and, and this is where, once again, 402-464-5685, the Honda Vigan hotline, and the starter Heyman text line are both open for you guys the entire way here. I'd uh, love to hear from you guys throughout the entirety of the show as well as on the Starter Heyman Jewelers live video stream, Facebook, YouTube, Twitch, Twitter, and Allo Channel 951. Um, When you look at Nebraska's strength, and Tony White talked about it a little bit today, right, is their defensive line right now. It, it past defensive statistics aren't that great. They're not that glamorous, right? But, man, Nebraska's rush defense is something to hang their hat on, and they have, and they're going to continue to do that when they're playing these teams ahead of them in the schedule that frankly just run the ball more than they pass the ball outside of maybe Wisconsin or Maryland, I should say Maryland's in there. Wisconsin was throwing the ball around the yard until mm-hmm. this last week yeah. when they remembered they had Braylon Allen, which, and they still struggled at times to run the ball. Mm-hmm. They just gave him a high volume of right. carries. And then they broke into it with an 18 point fourth quarter. Mm-hmm. And so that was something kind of just to watch um, as well. So what's interesting, though, is Tony White talked about how Nebraska's offense has really benefited their defense in this and that mentality that Nebraska, frankly, they have to run the ball on offense in practice. So here they are. That's only going to make Tony White's defense better in his eyes. It's going to make the defense better because the offense is actually competent running the ball, but it's going to make the offense better, too, because the defense has been so good at stopping the run. Mm-hmm. I get that some of Nebraska's opponents abandoned it at various points in their different games, but I don't think that's necessarily because the other teams were so bad at it. Yeah. Dylan Edwards is a good running back. Colorado went away from it. Uh, Sean Tyler at Minnesota, good running back. Maybe getting his feet under in game one, Minnesota went away from it. Michigan didn't have to. Northern Illinois stuck with it, even though they probably shouldn't have. Louisiana Tech went away from it pretty early, hit a couple late. Um, but I think that's a testament to the the integrity of the scheme um, yeah. that you see, you know, three man front and most people are going to be like, OK, let's eat it up. Right. Three yeah. defensive linemen. We can do this. But the scheme, but the players taking a step forward starts yeah. with Nash Hutmacher in the middle. Ty Robinson. I don't know if I quite see the NFL love and hype yet. I get the size. I need more production from Ty Robinson yet. Mm-hmm. But Blaze Gunnarsson's playing a role. Uh, Cam Lenhart has burst on the scene when he's been healthy. Jamari Butler having by far the best season of his career at Nebraska. You know, contributions from Prince William Mon Mielin as a freshman. James mm-hmm. Williams off the scout team 
you know, in his first game action. Riley Van Poppel's played a role. Nebraska can throw a lot of different guys on that defensive line, and you don't really see a drop-off. It's interesting. So you mentioned Ty Robinson, and, and there was, there's was there been a lot of discussion regarding Ty Robinson this week especially uh, because Matt Rule came out and said, you know, that, that type of performance that he had on Saturday is one that moves you up a couple rounds in the NFL draft. And I remember, I think Steve Sipple actually asked this question of, he said he asked Matt Rule on Monday, you say that Ty Robinson had this dominant performance. You look at the stat sheet and there's one tackle, right? And, mm-hmm. and understandably so, every little thing that you do is not always going to show up on a stat sheet, but you would expect more than one tackle, right? So here's what Matt Rule had to say in response to uh, Ty Robinson and why he characterized it a dominant performance despite only having one tackle. I mean, other guys, other guys sometimes get sacks because he runs up the field, and makes the quarterback run for his life. I mean, on the last sack of the game, he beats the guy one on one. He was absolutely dominant in my mind, by far his by far Ty's best game. Um, the type of game that you know that moves you up a couple rounds in the draft. Uh, I thought he I thought he looked excellent. Um, you know, I, again, I again I always go back to the tape, not the stat line. Like at the end of the game, I always I'm always when I'm walking out of the media room. And I see Nash there. I'm like, ah, oh, they picked you, huh? And he's like, yeah, you had two and a half sacks. I, don't, I can't even tell that sometimes during the game, like what's happening. But when I watch the tape, I just think uh, Ty hit his stride. And that doesn't mean that. I mean, they're both hitting their stride. And then Cam comes in, and then Jamari's playing well. But, um, yeah, I think, uh, I think Ty's someone that the other team has to take, take, take account of when he plays. So, I mean, Ty Robinson, and to Matt Rule's point, I mean, he's right. I, I, I look, obviously, Ty Robinson doesn't have the size of, like, Damian Daniels but if you remember everything that Damian Daniels did for Nebraska's front seven especially mm-hmm. was that frankly Damian Daniels just took up a lot of space and he he would have to be blocked by one or two guys and it, he had the ability to get to the backfield but when you looked at like a guy like Damian Daniels man he plugged it up he plugged mm-hmm. it up and he allowed the second level guys to either close the holes or get to the backfield Damian Daniels was great. His brother Darian in his one year transferring Mm -hmm. in did that job really well. I would be fascinated to know Ty Robinson's thoughts on having to move inside and outside uh, across different years. I think Ty Robinson has found a home more on the edge as that Mm -hmm. down lineman in the three, three, five. He was fine inside, but if you're going to move to the edge, that's a playmaking position. Yeah, it is. So I'm willing to say that Ty Robinson is a dominant role player. Mm-hmm. He's doing what's asked of him to the best of his ability. But the only play I remember was him batting down a pass. Yeah. Maybe I didn't watch the game close enough. Maybe I didn't go back and rewatch the game close enough. Ty Robinson was fine. He did his job. But if he's going to yeah. be dominant, show the stats, too. Because if you want to be an NFL guy... You're not going to get there by being a dominant role player in college. The guys that put up yeah. dominant stats in college are the ones that turn into role guys in the NFL. That's interesting because, like, so so we've been saying for quite a long time, like, we need to see this this version of Ty Robinson that we just haven't seen yet, mm-hmm. right? And I think, to be fair, we've talked about him and we've seen him more active this year yes. than in previous years. Mm-hmm. So that step ahead or, you know, that step forward has been taken. It's just now it's the consistency and continue elevating yourself as that defense alignment. This is where too, I think I would love to dive into more numbers. What's his, you know, pass rush win rate, mm-hmm. you know, because usually if you have a high win rate, but not a lot of sacks, the sacks will come. Yeah. 
I'm sure Ty Robinson well, like that role still effective play by just forcing the quarterback to make a decision quicker than what he's comfortable with. Right. And, 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 and especially, especially in a Big Ten conference where mm-hmm. the quarterbacks, specifically in the Big Ten West, right, are not very good. Even if they have five even, seconds. Even in the Big Ten East, they're not that great outside right. of Talia, outside of. I mean, maybe Kyle McCord and J.J. McCarthy. J.J.'s playing well. Aller will get there. Yep. I've been yep. pretty impressed Still with Still relatively him, young. But young. McCord hasn't lit the world on fire. Yeah. I think he's a good enough decision maker, but I don't yeah. know if the same talent is there. It'd be fascinating. Side side tangent here. Mm-hmm. It'd be interesting to see like Kyle McCord on a, on a I don't want to say Maryland, on a Michigan State. A Kyle McCord. What if he on, took over for... Aiden O'Connell at Purdue. Well, and, that, and that's that's where it's interesting. Like when you don't have the surrounding cast of Cade Stover, Emeka Buka, Travion Henderson when healthy, um, when you don't have that type, and now mm-hmm. Ohio State doesn't have the offensive line that they've had in years past either. But it would be interesting to see, and and, and we'll never get there. Like if Kyle McCord without the surrounding cast of Marvin Harrison, Emeka Buka, Cade Stover, and so on. Yeah, that's fair to say. But but back to back to Nebraska, Ty Robinson and and taking that step forward. He's doing his job and you can't ask more of him than that. Mm-hmm. But a dominant player does his job and. Yeah. Not does his job or but if Ty Robinson to me, again, if Ty Robinson were dominating, mm-hmm. he's doing his job but other guys then when they're elevated, some of those just naturally would go to Ty Robinson. Yeah. Right. He would not just be in the right place. He would be in the right place at the right time and make a play. Ty Robinson, I'm sure has had his hand on a number of quarterbacks jerseys, not been able to bring him down, mm-hmm. forced him to step up into a tougher throw or into another teammate. We saw that. Yes. A couple times against Northwestern, but if Ty Robinson was a dominant player, those sacks are his mm-hmm. like, yeah, don't be greedy, right? Still do your job within the framework of the team. But if you're dominant, that yeah. sack is yours. You go get it. You find a way. It, it's re- it reminds me of like what what we are wanting to see from Ty Robinson, and and it, although it's a very small sample size, it's like what we saw from Cameron Lenhart in the Colorado game in the first half mm-hmm. when he had those two sacks. Yeah, he figured out a way to make the play right, and, and that that brings us to a, a conversation I wanted to have today, and. And I, I want the listeners, uh, obviously, input on this, too. 402-464-5685. When you look at Nebraska's front seven, I'll just say that, or, you know, front eight, even mm-hmm. if you want to at some points. Like, I, I found myself during the Northwestern game, although it be against Northwestern and their type of offense, right? Nebraska this week is going up against a Purdue Boilermakers team that ranks 91st in rush offense, Okay. 90, 91st in rush offense. They're they're uh, averaging a little under 140 rushing yards per game. Um, and, and Nebraska, as we know, is a top 10, top five type rushing mm-hmm. defense and has shown that consistently throughout seven games. Purdue coming off of a bye week, Nebraska, as they came off of a bye week last week. I sat there and I thought, man, how how much more enjoyable is it to watch a defense from Nebraska when they're able to somewhat get consistent pressure on a quarterback. That's something that Nebraska, frankly, hasn't had in the last couple of years. No. Like, and, and do they have the dominant pass rusher that they had in a, a Sue or a, a Randy Gregory? Probably, no, I mean, they don't. That's not even a question about that. <laughs> but as a collective effort, and maybe from what designs Tony White is, is drawing up, they're figuring out a way to apply a, a decent amount of pressure every single play. 
They are. And it's it's nice to see. I was going back as because as you teased this and trying to figure out who some of those better defensive lines in mm-hmm. recent memory were. The 2019 group, I think, had a lot of untapped potential. You yep. have the Davis twins. Uh, ben Stilley had six tackles for loss, three sacks. Alex Davis was a rotational guy. Uh, both Daniels were on that team. DeAndre Thomas had a role oh, to play. Yeah. That was a solid defensive line. I, I mean, you think about some of the defensive lines of years past. I'm sure these are some of the names that you you have discovered. I mean, like the Casey Rogers of the world mm-hmm. transferred before he really seems like he reached his he's his ceiling at mm-hmm. Nebraska, right? And part of this is because Nebraska lost a defensive line coach in Tony Tuioti, who ended up going to Oregon, right? But you see, like Casey Rogers is one of them, right? You you look at last year, even in 2022, I think there was a lot of people, myself included, that expected a guy like O'Shawn Mathis, who came in as such a highly touted transfer to make a bigger splash and, and Mm -hmm. unfortunately just didn't. And, and Garrett Nelson on the other side of him, I think we somewhat viewed those two guys like, okay, hopefully they can get to the quarterback consistently. And once again, understanding the way the game works at times, they might not get to the quarterback every single play. They might not get a sack every single player, you know, four Mm -hmm. or five times a game. That's fine, but just apply a little bit of pressure defensive linemen make their linebackers and cornerbacks a whole lot of money and a whole lot of plays. It's hard for that to work inversely. I think back to that 2009 team, like obviously I'm not going to compare this Nebraska team to that one, but think through the names on that team. You have Sue, you have Jared Crick, you have Barry Turner who had 12 Mm -hmm. tackles for loss. Even a guy like Pierre Allen. Yeah. Uh, Cameron Meredith was the younger guy. Baker Steincooler was on that team. Those guys made Philip Dillard, Larry Asante, even Matt O'Hanlon, Mm -hmm. a lot of money. Right. Gomes, Hag, Amukamara, Denard. We know those names. Yeah. I almost wonder if this group for Nebraska is similar to that 2014-15 group where you have Malik Collins leading the way. Mm-hmm. Uh, Greg McMullen flashed at times. Even guys like Ross Azuris and Jack Gangwish exactly. played their role. Like, why can't Blaze Gunnerson be Jack Gangwish? Yeah, like you're you're not asking, I think, uh, a lot of these guys to be Levante David. You're no. wanting them to be like David Santos. Sure. Mm-hmm. Like be be those types of players mm-hmm. where every guy kind of just carves out a role. And Byron, the hog farmer, makes an interesting point that says that the, the has to help recruiting that we have production from freshmen already uh, when we play nine of freshmen on Saturday. Uh, what I would say, he goes, the defense is awesome. The depth chart switches D E D D N and outside linebacker every week and doesn't matter how they line up. What I would say to that Byron, the hog farmer kind of building off of that, is that's why I think there's a lot of people excited for the future. Yes. Right. I I don't I don't want to say and kind of throw salt in the wound. What ha- what's what's this even look like when you have a still young Ernest Hausman on the roster, right? Mm-hmm. That's behind this this real experienced group of or even ahead uh, of the real experienced group of linebackers. He'd be in the mix with Reimer and Henrich. Yeah. Both those guys have been banged up. So he's yeah. a, at least a spot starter. And I feel pretty confident saying he would have taken John Bullock snaps. And I understand like, Hey, Ernest, you, you do you, man. Like you, you went out, you went to a national champion contender. Um, and what if he knows Connor Stallions? Maybe, maybe, but no, like nonetheless, like that's the thing is I think there's a lot of people out here and rightfully so that see performances from O'Reilly Van Poppel or we see performances from Cameron Lenhart or most more notably somewhat recognize when they're not there. Like there was, you could, there were people saying, man, I wish Cameron Lenhart was in the lineup when he was missing those two games. Mm -hmm. And, And so that I think 
is a more of a tell of like how much of a role these young guys are already playing on Nebraska's defense. And we know the statistics of rush defense. Could their pass defense get better? Certainly. Like Nebraska's def- pass defense probably needs to get a little bit better. Marquise Buford may be returning at some point. You wonder about the red shirt rule with him. You've had a couple injuries in the secondary, right? But I think what when you look at Nebraska's defense, they're, as you mentioned, Austin, the defensive linemen for Nebraska make life, or defensive linemen in general, make life for everybody around them that much easier. Mm-hmm. Sim- sim- similarly to offensive line for Nebraska, or offensive line on a team makes it sim- uh, easier for quarterbacks and running backs. It's a perfect corollary there. Yeah. I-, I think the biggest way that we can tell that Nebraska's defensive line has gotten better is that, I, I mean, the sack numbers are what they are. They were yeah. really good early. Pressure rate went down, obviously, against Michigan, even against Illinois, uh, creep back up a little bit against Northwestern. But to me, I'm going to look at the the rush defense numbers. As few yards per game as Nebraska is allowing, and there haven't been hardly any big plays on the ground. Only a small handful of carries over 20 yards or more yeah. against this defense. And that tells me the defensive line is in their gaps where they're supposed to be, when they're supposed to be. Mm-hmm. It tells me your upperclassmen linebackers are reading the play right, and they're filling their gaps correctly. It doesn't matter if the linebackers fill their right gap if the defensive lineman doesn't get there. If he's not mm-hmm. taking on an offensive lineman or shoving them out of the way, creating a playmaking lane for the linebackers, it's been a really solid defensive line. And I think that has helped the linebackers' numbers look even better than I thought in yeah. some cases they could have been for a guy like John Bullock. Well, I think, I, I mean, that's another thing that I've, I've kind of discussed on the postgame show with Jay. And I think DP and I actually talked about it last Saturday is that you don't see as many chunk plays. Mm-hmm. Right. Like chunk plays will kill a defense giving up the third and, and 30s or third and 15s that they just take the wind out of your sails and they mm-hmm. kill They kill any momentum that you had throughout and you built up throughout those first two plays. Right. Like you look at the way like Nebraska's offense is right. Nebraska's offense, if they commit one or even two penalties on the same set of downs within like the four downs, it feels like they're just a mile away. And partially that's because they're a somewhat of a poor offense right now, but also they're going to be facing some better defenses. Michigan, if you watch Michigan games like against Indiana, and I think, I mean, even against Nebraska's offense, frankly, if Nebraska was in a third and nine, a third and 11, third and 13, you felt suffocated. Like mm-hmm. you felt like there's, there's no hope. Like you're just, just hold- punt now. Like Save a point. you're just hoping that you hold on to the football and you don't, you don't commit a turnover. And then you say, all right, we're going to just try to change the field right here. Mm-hmm. So when I look at, and, and as an unnamed texter pointed out, Northwestern broke a couple big runs last week and they had the big run that Omar Brown chased down and Matt rule talked about it. And then also they had the big pass play after the touchdown. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and, and so like, yes, you're going to give up. I think some of those broken coverage and those explosive plays, but I also look at the response Mm-hmm. by Nebraska's defense and in years past and this is not just like a previous staff thing this is like a 2015 to I mean frankly even like 2013 to 2022 I guess you would see in times where Nebraska's defense would give up a chunk play and it kind of felt like all right they're going to score a touchdown it's just a matter of when they're mm-hmm. going to find points it's a matter of when and we saw it twice on Saturday to where North, Northwestern was able to get into Nebraska territory and it was like, okay, don't let that compound. 
Mm-hmm. Don't compound chunk plays given up or don't compound mistakes, right? Like Nebraska gave up that, that big pass play towards the end of the game and inside the red zone, what did they do? They bowed up and they forced a field goal. Now, partially that's because of the poor offense of Northwestern, but that doesn't mean there shouldn't be credit given to Nebraska's defense. Well, it goes both ways because after that pass play, Northwestern tries to run that, that inside tight end who's off the yeah. line out to the flat. Uh, Bullock was blitzing. He made the quarterback eat it for a second. Now, if the quarterback takes one step to his right, kind of sidearm Heinrich Harburg's it, yeah. maybe it's a touchdown. But guess what Northwestern did the next play? Ran the same one. Yeah. And guess what? They completed it this time. Malcolm Hartsod tackles the guy at the line of scrimmage a yard or two behind. When I look at the, those big plays, Hartsod got burned by Curtsy. He read yeah. the out route out and up. Um, but the running plays that stand out to me were the, the one that Omar Brown made that tackle on. They ran it into a blitz. You know, Nebraska, Nebraska blitz credit Northwestern. They had the right play call. They executed their play call correctly. Omar Brown looked a little hesitant at the start of the play, kind of creeped down, but didn't commit. He was just faster than the running back to catch him. The other one that stands out to me is they ran that short side of the field pitch for 15 or 20 yards. They just noticed they had a numbers advantage. So they ran it. You know, when you have a numbers advantage, you want to get a chunk play like that. They took advantage of it, but it didn't compound to your point. So, and Matt Rule, before we take a break, Matt Rule said something along the lines of like winning teams make winning plays and the things that Omar Brown, the things that Malcolm Hartsock Mm -hmm. did in pursuit. And then ultimately the defense, the rest of the time, like that's what winning teams do. And I thought that was interesting because Matt Rule is such, especially in like year one, we're seeing this and he's, he's honestly like open to admitting it too. He doesn't, he cares about what the score looks like, but he's, he said it multiple times and he said it like two or three or four times on Monday that he's like, I don't care what the score is. I, I care about the way that it's looking yeah, and the, play and the, to a standard, not the yeah, score. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I think this is, this is the quote of, of Matt rule talking about those plays, right. And how he's on, had on past teams, guys that will just let them go and they'll just coast and they'll say, all right, they beat me they can have this one, right? So it was an interesting kind of way that Matt Rule paraphrased it and, and, and talked about it yesterday. So I think this is the clip. You know, when I say like, hey, would have lost the game earlier in the year, and so you, I think you maybe asked me, what do you mean? Like, or I think maybe someone asked me what I mean. I've been on a lot of teams where like those runs break and Omar Brown doesn't run the guy down or Malcolm gets beat, right? And a lot of times I've seen that guy turn and look at the safety like this and the ball walks in for a touchdown and that's losing teams. And that's why when I, so when I say like, I don't care about the score, I care about the film looks, I want to win the game. But when I see that, I'm like, man, the fact that Malcolm got beat and didn't feel sorry for himself and ran it down and got the guy tackled at the eight yard line and we held him to a field goal, that's the winning football. Can the defense continue to do, the, the defense will have to do it more this week with the amount of injuries on offense. The special teams have to do it more this week. So we can't, start to go like this. We have to continue to go like this and just say we're playing as the Huskers. It, it's interesting because you listen to those quotes and, and frankly, like we listen to Matt rule every week, two times a week, three, if you count on game days and like something like that to where he's talking about finishing out a play and the effort. It's it, like, I keep going back to this thought in my mind of like, that is the minimum. Yes. Like that, that needs to be the bare minimum. Mm-hmm. Ne- never in a million years would, would you ever, I would ever imagine like if, if I was watching a football game, just letting up and, and mm-hmm. not keeping the foot on the gas, whether it's on the offense, whether it's on the defense, I think 
I think one thing about this defense, as we've seen them continue to have consistent success, I see some of these guys, and they talk about it as well, and then back it up, right? There's there's multi-parts, multiple parts to that, where they want to just continue to elevate the amount of success that they have. Mm-hmm. And I find that somewhat refreshing, not because previous guys in, in previous years didn't say they want the, they wanted to do that. It's that we actually have this belief now as fans that on Saturday, they're going to hold Purdue to fewer than 14. There was the same or similar messaging from previous staffs about, oh yeah, effort, don't give up, you know, yeah. fight to the end, find a way to make a play. But for some reason, it's clicking this year. I think that reason, yeah. a big part of it is Tony White. We talked about the defensive line at the start of the segment. Terrence Knighton, having played in the NFL, I think he knows how to connect with his guys. They seem to really want to go to bat for him. Mm-hmm. When you say, yeah, effort should be the minimum, that takes me right back to best three and nine team of all time. Yeah. It takes me back to the end of last year, where effort should never be in question like it was at the end of the 2017 season yeah. in a lot of ways. Like The other thing I'll say on that is, I wonder if Malcolm Hartzog you know, didn't, didn't quit. And what's been an up-and-down year for him, if he didn't quit on that play because he still knows he has the confidence of his coaches. He took a gamble. It didn't pay off. He missed the interception, but he went and made the play. The coaches, I think, are more than happy to take the good with the bad with him because he didn't give up on it at the end. I always always think back, for some reason, I believe it was the 2018 game at Michigan. Chase Winovich, after the game, I mean completely mm-hmm. blew the doors off of Nebraska. Chase Winovich, a, a former Michigan linebacker. Mm-hmm. I believe he got drafted by the Patriots. I don't know where he's at right now. He was, he was, he had a pretty decent career. He has a pretty decent career in the NFL, but I will never forget listening to the, oh, post- the Dolphins just released. Him. Okay. So I'll never forget listening to the post game press conference from Chase Winovich, the Michigan linebacker. And looking dead in the camera and multiple times saying, yeah, you know, I just didn't feel like they wanted to be out there. Mm-hmm. I just felt like, they, 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 you know, I lined up across from him and, and he's like, you can feel when somebody actually wants to be out there. And he goes, I felt like none of them really wanted to be out there. And I'm sitting here as like a Nebraska fan going, well, dang, dude, why you gotta, why you gotta say that about <laughs> us? But then I'm, I'm sitting there like now, if I was a player and I heard that, I'd be like, dude, bleep you. Like I, I, you got to take that to heart at some point, and it's the same kind of observation that we see from like the offensive line and stuff, where it's like at some point you got to be tired of getting your your face beat in, and there's the pride that has to come through it. I think we're seeing a lot of pride from this defense, both mm-hmm. young and old guys, where frankly, they don't want somebody talking that way about them, and that also came after a a Michigan beatdown of Nebraska. But I will never forget, like, there's, I, I don't, I can't think of many things disrespectful than more disrespectful than number one, getting your butt whooped on the field. But then after the, after the fact, somebody going, Hey, yeah, you know what? They didn't want to be there. They didn't want to be out there. And you have no ability to say, No, no, let's go again. You can't take those back. No, you can't. Like, if you then go to the media and be like, Hey, Chase Winovich doesn't know what we want, what he was talking about. We wanted to be out there. Well, dude, you just lost 52 to seven. Like, you did didn't you? try. And then how yeah, do you respond the next week? Oh, wait, man. So, I mean, like you talk about, it's not even playing in fear of like, I don't want to have to regret this rep, but it's this, we don't even give you the opportunity to talk that way about us. Mm-hmm. So, all right, we are way behind time. Let's go ahead and take a break. When we come back, we'll keep diving into this. 
Uh, once again, Rico is out today. Nick Sander here, Austin Norman there. You're listening to the Happy Hour. Shout out to Empire Fence and Netting for their support. As always, 402-464-5685. Feel free to chime in on the Honda Lincoln Hotline and the Sarder Heyman text line. We'll be right back on 93.7 The Ticket. Follow Nick and Enrique on Twitter at Nick underscore Sainert and at Radio Rico AC. More of Happy Hour is next on 93.7 The Ticket and theticketfm.com.